Blog Talk Radio.
In the name of Amen, the Supreme, the All-Powerful, the one and only true Lord, and Amen, we trust, as the Republican intellect, the real 144,000 is being gathered this day and time, the mentalists, the Amen race, the bright race. Good evening. I'm your host, the intellectual Nubian Minkari. This is Mental Ed Radio, and tonight we're going to be discussing what I learned growing up in the projects. What I learned growing up in the projects, Brooklyn, New York, Van Dyke Houses, and the Brownsville section of Brooklyn, Brownsville, East New York. I grew up in Brownsville, East New York, in the Van Dyke, in the Van Dyke, um, Van Dyke housing projects. I moved to this housing project when I was three years old, from what I understand, from what I understand, excuse me. I, I kind of remember somewhat. I was three years old at the time, 1973. I'm telling on myself, I'm getting up my age. I don't know, I'm 50, 51 this year. But I was three years old, and I moved into these monster of buildings, right? 14-story building we moved into. And we moved on the 10th floor. Notice the number 10 popped into my life early, 10th floor. Our apartment was 10F, right? 10F, right? And, um, you know, I um, moved when we got in there was me, my brother, my mother, and father. Right? It's four of us. My sisters didn't come at that, that time yet, right? Me and my brother shared a room, and my mother and father, of course, had their bedroom. And um, being there, living there, you know, looking at the buildings and stuff like that, being mesmerized at how they put people that look like us up in buildings this high was my first thought. And it amazed me how these buildings held us up this high. And I would always think in my mind that one day these buildings might fall and God help us. That's what my thought if we in these buildings. I thought about things like that early. I used to sit out in my window. I used to look outside and from my window, it was far distance. You could see the um, train. You could see the um, L train. No, well, that was from the living room. You could look out in the living room window. You could see the L train, right? the letter L train. And from my uh, bedroom window, we could see the two and three train. It was far off. It was real far off, but I'm looking up there. And um, I thought to myself, this was so surreal, you know, us being housed in these places so high up I said to myself something's not right about this how we were put here how we ended up here right because projects you know you know and it made me think about even my word of projection like today the word I use projection because a projection is a forward uh, is a forward transmission, is a forward um, forward image, right? And I thought to myself, oh, we was in a project. It's also something experimental, a test, 
right? And I didn't put together the test part of project until I was literally like 16 or 17 years old. Then I thought back to where I grew up in, in the Van Dyke housing project, right? And I said, shoot, I'm growing up, I'm growing up here. I'm meeting kids, children, you know, my age, I'm older. And I'm noticing that these children have no father. Now, this was foreign to me because my father was always around. Even when he was out up to no good doing whatever the hell he was doing, hanging out, being a, being a so-called black man in America. But he was always home. He always made his way home. All right. He was always there. I didn't see that with the children I met there, and I always wondered why. Early, I wondered why they didn't have any fathers and why, you know, I mean, I saw some. I'm not going to say all of them did. Now, I've seen some whose father hung around, but these guys' fathers barely hung around. You can tell, like, you know, as I'm growing up, you start to see things. You're playing with other kids. We're running around in the hallway. And whatnot, we playing in the we playing in the project staircase. This is after you know when I got like around six, seven years old. You know what I'm saying? It, that was around that time, and we wasn't uh, we wasn't doing that at no three and four, of course not. But like around six, seven years old, we hang outside our apartment and run around the hallways, you know, stupid stuff like that. We see the older kids, you know. Um, you know, ride on top of the damn elevators, all kind of crazy stuff we saw, you know. And the place, it seemed so big and it seemed so closed in at the same time, right? And the closed-in part felt like inward shelter. That's what the closed-in part felt like. I felt kind of safe, but at the same time, um vulnerable if that makes sense because I always in my mind thought our world could always end you know I thought like that this world and where we live and you know this place and these people like I said I just you know I still remember people clear as day the people I grew up with and grew up around and you know as you growing up around these people and you talking to these people and you know I was steady learning the mentality of these people. And it was a mentality that was shaped by the projects. I know that to be true. And not just the projects, but their families who lived in those projects, right, who grew up in those projects, you see. My father always encouraged me and my mother always encouraged me to mind my business, don't get involved in stuff out here, this, that, and the third. And I didn't. We didn't. We didn't get involved. We, we played with the neighborhood kids and whatnot. And as we got older, some of them came to the house and things like that, you know. But it was always early in my mind that though we growing up amongst them, we're not like them. We're not like them. That had to be a very powerful message that my father and mother would instill in my head all the time because, you know, I always felt like, yeah, we, we, why, why are we not like them? Like, I couldn't understand when they said we couldn't be out, you know, late at night like that at people's house, spending the night at everybody, spending the night at people's houses and stuff like that. I, I couldn't understand that at the time. 
you know, you know, why we couldn't, you know, uh, um, hang out, you know, all night with our friends or whatever. And these were guys that was, um, you know, guys we come up around. And then um, later I started to see why. I started to see later why and with the project, you know, the life of that, the enclosed spaces done to the minds of the people in those spaces. In all fairness, you can't blame a project. I learned that the project is just a building. You can't blame the project. You know how you know you can't blame the project? Because white people will gentrify these neighborhoods like they're doing, and they will call the project a co-op. They will call the project or that which was the project when we lived in it, it will become a co-op when they move into it. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? See, co-op is short for cooperative, cooperative apartments. So the fact that they didn't refer to our apartments when we were living there as co-op apartments or cooperative apartments, I said, well, is that, a, is that you know, because that was the first time I heard that phrase, and it, I had to be around 17, 18 years old, the term co-op. You see, like when you co-op somebody to do something, that's the first time I heard that. Cooperative, exactly. And it meant just what it was. Cooperative, a community. They saw what they were doing, white people coming to up buildings. And these were our buildings now. Now, I've seen them take over projects. Or in Brooklyn, that was projects when black people lived there. They're now cooperatives or co-ops. There's a place in lower Manhattan called Peter Stuyvesant or Stuyvesant Houses. These were, you can look at them, they're projects. You see, they see the white man. He ain't gonna change the the um. They're not gonna change the setup of the project. They'll just call it something else. So, like I said, it made me realize. It made me realize that this is not just building. This is not just design of buildings. It's mentality of the people that come there, and that are housed there. You see. And when you have people who are cooperative, because as they know, our people are not cooperative with each other worth a damn, it becomes a project of destruction after a while. They know that when people have no culture, they have no, uh, uh, um, they have no heritage, they have no language. You see, you stick those people together in a project, then watch what happens. You know, they gave the analogy of putting rats together in a maze or like in a project, and the rats all tore each other apart. Now, the rats are the same species-wise. The rats are the same. But the rats are all about survival in space. When See, when people don't know who they are, when people don't know who they are, then they require more space in their mind to find out who they are. And when they don't find that space, they tend to attack people in their space. I'm going to give you an example of this. The Jews and all of those people, they could live in close confinement together. Caucasians, all of them could live in close confinement together because, see, they know who they are as a people. They know who they are as a people, and they cooperate so they can live in small spaces. They don't need all that space. They can live like that. Hmm? But when... You don't have no knowledge of who you are, and you're put in a small space. 
and you're fighting for your Christian values, your so-called Christian values, your so-called Islamic values, your so-called 5% teachings, or whatever the hell you Negroes is into in the damn projects. You are fighting for space to practice a belief system and a mindset that people in your community do not support. So then what? You be at each other's throats. So then you got people who are degenerates amongst you as well, you see, and next thing you know, anybody or anything goes. You could have, you ain't going to have in the co-op, you're not going to have just them letting anybody live in the co-op. You know that, right? First and foremost, your money got to be right. Your money got to be right. Second of all, they're going to have a background check, what you did, what this, that, that, you have a record. They say they don't do that in the projects, at least not when we moved in there. Maybe they're trying to do that to niggas now because they want to empty the niggas out of the project so they can become co-ops for white people. They ain't going to do all that. Like I said, why you, they, I'm, they don't screen people who move in the project, so you're going to let anybody in the projects, but not in the co-op. Because in the co-op, people are expected to cooperate with each other and live as a community, as a family. We didn't live like that. We didn't see our neighbors as our friends, brothers, sisters. We didn't see that. You see, these were niggas that just lived next door to us. That was the mentality, and that was the project. That was the project because, like I said, when you put people in close proximity of each other and they have no real connection to each other, no heritage, no nothing, no law, no order, nothing, no community law, no community order because, see, in the co-ops, you got police there. They're walking around protecting the co-op. They ain't letting nobody sell no drugs in there. They ain't letting nobody piss in the elevators or piss on the floor. See, that's what they do in co-ops. See, in the projects, you can you can do whatever you want. You could piss on the damn floor, take a shit on the floor, whatever. Have sex with a have sex on the damn elevators on the roof. That's what I grew up with, and that was done purposely. That was done purposely. You can't do that in the co-op. You see, because law and order is applied in the co-op because they look at all these other people as people who are willing and ready and willing and able to cooperate. See, when you got people, when you got law established where you grow up, where you got law and order uh, 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 established where you grow up, and your children are seeing law and order, and they seeing that they better do the right thing or whatever the case may be, and that's expected of them, and you see father's home, and you see all this men in security – you ain't going to see young men growing up to sell crack cocaine. You're not going to see them growing up to sell crack cocaine. You're not going to see them fighting in the street or shooting off guns. You're not going to see that. But see, in the projects, you will. See, because the projects is where they dump people who don't gave up on themselves, gave up on their life, gave up on their heritage, gave up on everything. That's where they dump you Negroes for the projects. You see? That's where they dump you. You see? We went there, my mother and father were young, and it was the same to get in the projects at the time because they didn't grow up in the projects, but they sort of, they, they figured it would be all right for us to grow up in the projects. I'm pretty sure, you know, because they didn't have money like that at the time, so they did what they could do to get by and take care of their children, you see. However, we were dumped in the middle of a battlefield, a battleground. I Like I said, we when I was growing up, you know, things because we everybody was for the most part. See, when I was coming up, everything was cool for the most part from the 70s up until the 80, 84, 85, up to the 82, 83. Everything was pretty much cool, right? From the time I grew up there, from 
because I moved in 73, and we moved out of there about 90, I moved out, right? You see, everything was cool up into the 80s. You see, that's when this generation of mine started to grow up. They, even, even the parents, like I said, they come from that last generation of people who was from down south, people who was like, you know, who come up in, you know, houses and, in, 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 you know, in the other parts of the city. So they had some decency about themselves. So the projects wasn't run down yet. It didn't really start to happen until the 80s when my generation started growing up in the projects. And because their mothers and fathers taught them nothing, gave them no direction, there was no law, no order. We grew up not seeing that. So they didn't come from the same value system that maybe their parents who was born in the 40s and the 50s saw. So we got us coming up from the 70s, 80s, and all this other stuff, and we seeing fighting. We seeing uh, guys starting to sell drugs, robbing, stealing. You know, we seeing all that. Mm-hmm. Now we didn't grow up seeing that Because like I said Everybody was still kids at the time Everything was innocent You know we had some fights and stuff like that But it wasn't like What ended up becoming As it did It wasn't like that Like I said we had our fights We grew up we had our fights Then we start seeing friends that we You know certain friends that we kept We was cool with We start seeing them getting in trouble Getting locked up Going to jail we started seeing that. We go to damn, you know, like I said, uh, um, people robbing each other. We live in the same area, in the same neighborhood, in the same project, and you got niggas robbing each other who live right across the street. This is what we started seeing. So I said, you know, these damn projects. That's all I can think of, these projects. You see? We started seeing all of that. My best friend who I grew up with, he didn't even grow up in the projects, but he had family in the projects. My best friend, one of my best friends, I call him a good friend of mine, Lamont. His name was Lamont. Right. We grew up, we grew up, we met him when we was, um, uh, um, we would go by my grandmother and uh, my grand step grandfather's house. We'd go by there and we met them over there. Right. He, we all grew up together riding our big wheels in the neighborhood and whatnot, and I would get out the projects. I would be happy, you know, I would be happy to go to my uh, grandmother, and I'm going to call my grandfather and my grandmother's house or, like, their apartment over in Bed-Stuy. I was happy to go over there. I was happy at any time we had to get out the projects. You see, I was happy about that. I was happy when we went to Long Island to see my Aunt Tiny and my Uncle, my Uncle Ted you know, I was happy to go out there, and they was living in a nice home out there in Deer Park, Long Island. That was all like that was like a vacation getaway for us. They had the swimming pool and things like that, and I just loved the feeling of being in a house. And I always said when I became a grown man, I said I would never raise my children. I made a vow I would never raise my children in any projects, and not even in their apartments. I'm going to have my children in a big, beautiful house where they deserve to grow up. And this is no shot at my mother and father. They did what they could at the time, but it was hell growing up there. I hated the mentality. I hated the people after a while. You know, it was times I just stayed in the house. You see, because, you know, 
you know, and then you had, then all you goddamn had to look at was good times. So good times was more reinforcing nigga mentality and the behavior of niggas in the projects. And, you know, everybody just, you know, just happy to get by and everybody doing bad. I'm like, this is not what life is supposed to be. I remember I used to just say, I would go out sometime and I'd go right to the library and I would just stay in the library. I would stay in the library because the projects, they had a library in the projects. And I would go into the library and just sit there for hours and just hang out in the library and just look for books and stuff like that. That's when I was into reading. I would look for books and stuff like that because that was my way to get away. That was how I lost myself. When I went into the library and the projects, it's like I went into another world. And I wanted to stay there. Sometimes I would leave late. Right? I got to see how life was outside the project. And I got to see that how people can be conditioned. You see, by the word project, how they can be conditioned by a mentality of people who are trying to survive like animals. People who start to turn on each other like animals, like the very rats that I talked about when the so-called white man showed the experiment with the rats in the enclosed project. Because at one time they said that was the mindset of putting black people in the projects and seeing how, you know, putting them in close spaces like that, how they would be, how it would erupt, they'd be fighting and be all on top of each other, things like that. But I can't buy that. I couldn't buy it. Because white people live in them same, people live in those same apartments. Jews will live in those same apartments. These people will all live in them same apartments, and they won't do what black people did in those buildings, in those apartments. Because when you strip people of everything, when they have nothing to look forward to, they just turn into animals. You just put them in close quarters to be animals. You see? You take all they know. Or, or whatever, you know, with, with, there's always an empty space there because when you start to play out your low, your low nature and your low mentality, when you start to play that out, it's usually because something is not there. It's usually because something is not there. The only great thing about the projects when I grew up was we didn't have no rats. We ain't had no mice. We had plenty of roaches. We had plenty of roaches, but no rats, no mice. That was the only good thing about that, only good thing, which means we had nasty people around us, you see. And like I said, when you're trying to understand a condition and why people are the way they are, because you see, you don't really know things are different. You only could suspect it because we didn't live like that in my house. We tried to be a close-knit family. We was trying to get to the people who knew our family like, they thought of us as the goody two-shoes stuck-up family because we didn't hang out with everybody. And, I mean, my mother had friends in the projects, and my father, he didn't really have no friends in no projects. His friends was, like, across town and bad style where he grew up at. But we really just didn't, like, that really, really socialize with these people. We didn't, you know. We had our friends. We had our selective friends. People, by a certain time, they get into a little certain group, a certain little clique, and you could tell the kids are going to be friends, and they're going to grow up together versus those who not. And I was just like, there's no camaraderie. There's nothing here. There's nothing here. You know how they used to do in the project stations were like, yeah, you know, you from this. Because this, this was niggas trying to have some sort of community type thing. This is, this is community degenerate style. When niggas would go, well, see, we from this side over here, so we, we all look out for each other here. But them niggas on that other side, they ain't from here, so you know it's whatever with them. 
Well, we all in the same project now. Or, yo, we from these projects, and them niggas come over here, it's going to be beef, because this our projects over here, and stuff like that. You see? In other words, y'all only united when it comes to doing some kind of, uh, 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 some foolishness, some dangerous, some nonsense. You see? Kind of like the warped mindset of these bloods and these crips and all these goddamn gangs. They, like I said, they still sit up here and they all they stand for is killing one another and and, and, and and promoting chaos and confusion amongst their own kind. Won't do nothing to nobody else, no other races of people, but they only they, they this is what they committed to doing. And it was sort of the same thing. You see. It was sort of the same thing. Like I said, it it made sense that, you know, of course you had your little stir ups and kids gonna fight and stuff like that and you know, things like that. But then when the guns came out, when the crack came out, when money got thrown into the equation because you had a lot of people in the projects who didn't have money, they didn't have money, they didn't have uh, uh, any way out. So when crack cocaine came about and money started to be abundant, I swear everybody and their mother was selling crack. Kids we come up with, they all had the goddamn mailboxes with crack, crack stuffed in the damn mailboxes. The police was running in our building every five minutes, ripping ripping the damn mailbox doors off, everything, because these niggas was hiding crack in the mailbox, and they were serving the crack crackheads like three, four in the morning, five in the morning, they were serving crackheads. You see, that was 1984 for me in the projects at 14 years old, 13 years. That's what I had to see. I had to see uh, uh, this girl named Fruitsy. Right, who lived on the first floor, I had to see Fruitsy run, as I'm going to school in the morning, I had to see Fruitsy run out of the building butt-ass naked, tearing through garbage bags. I kid you not. I had to see Fruitsy run out the damn, uh, uh, this Richard and Rob, Rob um, sister upstairs, the ones who, they used to live the Robinson family. From my, I know if you're listening, you know who I'm talking about, the Robinson family, Richard and Richard and Rob, they sister, Fruitsy. Run out the damn, run out the damn uh, um, building. They live on the first floor. They And come to find, she she don't live on the first floor. She live on the 11th floor. But come to find out later, she was smoking crack with, um, with um, what's her name, sister. I forget what his name is. But they was in there smoking crack. You know, I guess, you know, crack was the new thing. I didn't know what the hell crack was. The fruits, he come out of the house butt-ass naked, running running out into the street to get tear through a garbage bag because somebody left crack cocaine in there, and they they they, 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 they threw some crack away by mistake. This is what I grew up saying. I see girls who, you know, prostituted themselves offering oral sex for crack, $5. Girls who I was attracted to, girls I liked, girls who were beautiful. I saw that. I grew up through all of that. You see, I see people be cruel to their children. I seen people be cruel to their parents. I seen guys rob their friends' parents. You see, this is what I seen. You see. I seen them rob. I seen guys. They robbed their own um, friends' parents. You see, that's what I grew up looking at. I seen that these people, because they had no real identity, they had no real knowledge of who they were as a people. They had no law, no order. You put these people in close proximity to each other, and what you're going to see 
is chaos and confusion. So, you know, this is why, you know, I always gravitated toward, you know, some sort of blackness. Because early on, I knew because I, I was in the, you know, when I was when I was in the projects, you know, the first um, my kindergarten school was in the projects as well. I found it interesting that they put all this stuff here. Like I said, because we all we had to do like the supermarket wasn't nowhere from the house, the, the uh, um, and it was just like I started figuring out. Well, damn, it's like they don't really want us to leave from around here. They don't. I mean, I, okay, yeah, it's like they put the supermarket there. We get that, yeah, the supermarket and everything, but it's almost like they don't want us to leave from around here. It's like they want us to stay in this section. You see? So I'm like, I go to my, you know, I, I went through uh, kindergarten. I started at three years old. We had the threes, the fours, and the fives. Right? That's what it's called, the threes, the fours, and the five. And after the fives, you get ready for sixth grade, six, I'm sorry, first grade, six years old, first grade. So, you seen that picture of me. A lot of y'all seen that famous picture of me. And funny, I had to part in my head back then. My haircut was low. And I had to part in my head. And I had this, my uh, my Caucasian um, school teacher, Miss Gerber, right, who, you know, for the strangest reason, I couldn't figure out why she wanted to come and the hood or the in our neighborhood. I ain't, We didn't know what the hood was. We didn't refer to the hood. Why she wanted to be here around black people? I don't even want to be around black people at this point. You know, what I'm saying these type of people, I, I knew I didn't want to be around these type of people. From my, what my little eyes saw, but you know, I'm trying to assimilate, trying to fit in. So I, I was even more curious as to why she wanted to be around these black children and things like that. She's hugging me in the picture and whatnot, and she and I'm sitting there like, uh, yeah, I seen the look on my face. You know, y'all seen the look. I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on here. Why? And I even asked her, my teacher said, I asked her, why are you here? I asked her point blank, what are you doing here around us? You see, early. And it must have been true I said it because my teacher, when I went back to see her years ago, she passed away now, Miss Fredericks. She said, you, i never forget you asked Miss uh, Gerber, what's she doing here? Why is she around us like this? And I didn't remember saying it, but, you know, that was when I first became suspicious of the Caucasians. Right in the projects, I became suspicious of them. I'm like, why they don't live around here? You see, why they don't live in, they don't live in these buildings? We don't mess with these people. Why are they around here? Why do they want to come into our, our kindergarten? And why do they want to be around us? I, w- I didn't trust it early. And seeing that, in seeing that, and understand, I started to understand the dynamic of black and white. I started to understand that dynamic. I learned a little bit of it from watching TV, you see, because I, I lost myself a lot in television living in the projects, I told you. And that's why I knew I didn't like when, when they put these black shows on, I didn't like the black shows. I didn't like the black shows because I'm like, I, I, got, I grew up around niggas all my life. Well, every day I got to go out and see niggas in the projects. Why would I want to watch Good Times? This was my mentality. Why would they put on a show about the projects? You know, could it be that they knew most, most so-called black people at that time was living in inner city projects and things like that? Could it have been that? 
I think so. I couldn't fathom why they want to put on a show about niggas living in the projects. And I got to live in, I'm living in the projects. I, I saw some of the episodes of it. Now, you know, I, I watched it here and there because I, I really watched I ain't going to lie. I really watched it because I like Thelma. I was attracted to Thelma. Yeah, at, at early age, I was attracted to Thelma, okay? The sister on Good Times. I was. All right? I was. So, and of course, Janet Jackson, when she came on as Penny, I was attracted to her. So that's the only reason why. No, no other reason. Like, I would try to just bypass J.J. and Michael and all of his, Michael with his flaming faggot self. And, you know, I was just, you know, you know I was just bypassing him. I look at them. But I, I, I tried to watch, you know, I, I want give me some white shows to watch. Let me see how these white people live. You see? Let me see how these white people live. You know? And I just liked how they lived. You see? They wasn't living in the projects. You see? They wasn't living in, and they wasn't they live they wasn't living in buildings with people pissing the damn elevator and piss on the floor instead of going in their apartments to piss. You see, they ain't worried about having to go down the back of the stairs and hope nobody ain't on the back of the stairs to molest you or touch you or try to attack or kill you. They didn't have to worry about that. You see, this is why I come up at around people who act like animals, and I don't justify their acting like animals. I don't justify that. There's a reason for it, but I don't make no justification for it because I just told you because, you know, these Negroes is always up here talking about, oh, you know, because, uh, you know, black people in the projects and, you know, that's what happens when you put people in projects. That's a load of BS. That's what happens when you put ignorant people, people who don't know who they are in some occult quarter and they're going to turn on each other like animals because I just gave you the example because I still gave I gave you the example. Uh, uh, of the white people when they come in the project they become co-ops you see they become co-ops they're going to put security around there they're going to put police around there they're going to make sure that everything is watched 24 hours a day you see because they know those people value life you see and the funny thing was uh uh Thelma from Good Times was from from Good Times was right from my project. She was right from Van Dyke houses, right from Van Dyke. Thelma, she grew up there, um, and, and, and she was right from the projects, right from my. Well, I didn't even know that for years. You see, so you know, I had famous people like I said, a uh, uh, basketball player came from uh, um, Brownsville house across from where my aunt was at, but it wasn't much different, man. It wasn't much different. Black people was already developing that tribal mentality. I saw that too. Going certain people projects. You'd be young going there. Sometimes niggas looking at you, staring at you, liking like you foreign and they and you know. But like I said, these would be the same ones. The white man going there, whatever. They don't got nothing to say to him. He might be a police, or we ain't gonna ask what he doing here, or say nothing to him. They ain't gonna do that. See, so obviously they started knowing the difference. And I saw also when the when the white when the white boys came around because you know I'd see white guys and this before I knew what a detective was I knew what the police was you know we knew what the police and the uniforms was but I didn't know what the you know we when I see I would see white boys you know running up in the projects and I was like what the hell and they pulling niggas out all the niggas I thought was tough and bad all the older kids pulling them out I was like what the hell is this then found they were police. That's when I found out what a detective was. 
And that's when I looked at these niggas who I looked up to as being the tough guys of the hood and all that. And I'm like, y'all some punk ass niggas. Y'all, why y'all let these white men? Y'all got guns. This is when niggas started having guns and busting their guns, everybody fighting in them. And then I'm like, what? The police taking you niggas out like, yeah, you niggas looking buck broken right now. You niggas looking real buck broken right now. I was looking up to these niggas. He was the thugs, the hoods, the niggas was 5% nation, God bodies knocking niggas out and all this other shit. And I'm looking at these dudes. I want to be God body too. I want to be 5% nation too. I was down with that. And I'm like, you niggas started robbing each other. Uh, you niggas start selling drugs. Uh, you niggas like the white man, the devil come up in there and drag you niggas out. Y'all wasn't battling with them. Uh, You fucking coons. <laughs> That's what I, thought. I, I guess the white man guard now, huh? He ran up in there with his police badge and his gun. That's all it took for you niggas to turn over and, and, and grab your ankles, huh? All you tough guys. Right? Chasing you niggas through the projects and they cop cars. You niggas riding all through the running. What you niggas running for? What are you running for? What are you niggas running for? I thought you niggas was bad. I thought y'all was some bad niggas. But it all added up to nothing. You niggas had your guns. Why you didn't bust your guns at them? Why you wasn't tough with them? Why you running like little boys? Throwing your guns away. It's you against them, right? See, because even when people come up into a neighborhood... And they coming from a community mindset. The police are like a community. They coming from a community mindset. They're going to always trump those people who don't have a community mindset. They're always going to do that. You see? They're always going to trump those people that don't have that, 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 you know, that don't have that community mindset. I'm like, and it would always be like the same three or four cops that come through. They wouldn't even have to send the whole squad. They, they come through. And see, these, these cops of today, these punk-ass cops today, it would always be like two or three of the same cops called one or two. And, and, you know, I'm like, damn, it always seemed like the same guys show up. I started recognizing them after a while. A couple like they were some Italians and whatnot, some, maybe some Irish white boys and whatnot. And, you know, I ain't seen no black dude. They might have had a black dude with them later on. But it was always the same people and the same tough niggas that talked all this stuff who turned everything out. These niggas, these niggas is running like schoolgirls. I'm like, wow. So that's when I learned the farce of how these all the so-called hardcore niggas in the hood. I learned the farce that, you know, if if you really hardcore, then your mind, no one should be harder than you. And if it's on, it's on. You see? If it's on, it's on. You niggas wasn't on it like that. If you going to live that life, I guess I was like, I, damn, I guess I was looking up to the wrong niggas. You see? So, you know. I started looking for ways to escape, you know. I started looking for ways to escape mentally. When I, um, you know, when I got to be, you know, because I come of age 12, 13 years old, and the projects come of age, you know, um, me and my brother, we would go on these little uh, expeditions, and we would go to, um, you know, different places. We'd go to 42nd Street. You know, we go to a movie out there. You know, when we started being able to go to school, we go to the library. And I, I, I must say, we would get dressed up. Me and my brother would get dressed up, and we would go to the library in Manhattan. We're like 13, 14 years. I, I, I know we was getting on the train at that time. 
And we just go and sit in the library and look for books and stuff like that. And, you know, we listen to music and stuff like that. You know, and like I said, for the most part, I told you, I, I didn't even want to go outside. It used to be a time, like I said, when I was when I got to be a certain, I would go out and play sometime, and I had some close friends I played with, but I didn't really want to even go outside too much, man. I mean, I'd go and play basketball. I went outside, but for the most part, I'd rather stay in and watch TV, man. I'd rather stay in if it was something good on, I stayed in and watched TV. You see, I wanted to see how these white people lived. Trust me, no nigger shows was on. I was watching how white people lived. I was tired of luck watching niggas on, on TV, the depictions they did the so-called black people. I was tired of watching that. And I didn't. I wasn't in no hurry to go outside. My brother he couldn't keep him from being outside. He'd be outside all the time. Couldn't keep him from outside. He was always out going someplace, running around in the hood somewhere, hanging out. Me, I was like, nah, I'm good. I stayed in the house damn near half the summer watching TV. I was stayed in the whole, but they was like trying to make me go outside. My mother and father, I don't want to go out there. I stayed in the house watching TV. You see, because through TV I learned how to speak well, right? I learned that there was, you know, that there was a world outside beyond Brownsville, beyond the projects. I learned that there was a world beyond it. And then, you know, the schools we went to was right in the hood, too. Except for one time we went to this school, this white school out in Bay Ridge somewhere. This is a white area. Total culture shock. Total culture shock. Around this, where they had houses and stuff. That's when they started that busing in the 70s. And we was part of that. My mother and father had this bright idea, I don't know why, to send us to this school for white people. And I don't know if they thought the school was going to be good or better or whatnot, but the school bus used to come right outside the window about the project, be right outside 6, 7 in the morning. We getting up, we going downstairs, and it's, day, and it's the sun barely coming up, and we standing outside with our lunch made. I remember them days, boy. Mother calling me, waking me up, her voice, you know, like a damn, like my mother voice like a damn, uh, um, like, you know how you put them things on, you scratch the chalkboard and make that squealy sound. That's how my... That's how my mother's voice was when she, you know, come to waking us up. And same, same screeching voice that my daughter got when she crying. Feel like you listening to damn chalk, like the damn uh, uh, metal things scratching across the damn board. Torture, pure torture. Anyway, it made us get up. We stand out there. We going in the white school. We riding all through Brooklyn into Bay Ridge. I don't know these areas. I don't know these. We 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 children at the time. You see, we like around. Eight, nine years old, I want to say. Yep. That's how it sounds, too. See? And um, one thing I learned about white people, out of my first encounter being around white kids in, in uh, public school, they really are dumb. I, 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 I kid you not, they really are dumb. They really are dumb. Like, really dumb. They, they, I'm like, I was a star student in the school, in the class. And all my class, I was a star student. They looked at me like I was from another planet. I was a star student. I was like, they're supposed to be the, the best school. They're supposed to be better than our school in Brownsville. I'm like, these white kids are pure, like, they're just real dummies. I mean, like, the simplest things they didn't know. Just real simple, man. I'm answering all the questions in there and whatnot. And I'm like, this is what, I'm like, where's the, you know, I'm like, where's the, Better, you know, where, where's where's the better education at in this? Unless my mother and father thought because we was going to a white school, we was gonna get a better education. I, I guess that was their mindset back then, man. You know, I don't, I don't, you know, 
You know, everybody like you know, like I said, they did they did what they thought was best, right? And you know, like I said, it was an experience. Uh, we got into a fight. Me and my brother got into it. We we only lasted in that school about two three weeks. I want to say about three weeks. We lasted about we we know we didn't last out the month. We lasted about two or three weeks. I want to stay in that school. Might might have been you know I. You know, of course, it ends up with them calling us niggas, you know, and the kids calling us niggas. They learned that well from their parents. They That they got. They learned that part right. You see? That part calling us niggas, that part they got right. That part right there. And, of course, you know, we like niggas. And just keep in mind, we just saw Roots. This is around 77, 78. We just saw Roots. And a white person calling us niggas, you know, we went the hell off. We went the hell off. My brother beat this white boy. I still remember their name. This, 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 my brother beat up a white boy. You ready what the name of this white boy was? It's still stuck in my head after all this shit. Joe Stagio. I ain't never heard of no white motherfucker with a name Joe Stagio. My brother beat the bricks off this motherfucker. He beat the bricks off this white motherfucker real bad. You know what I'm saying? And scraped his face with one of those sporks, you know, the plastic spork, fork thing. And then a white boy with a typical white boy name named Danny. Danny tried to grab my brother and, and jump my brother. I threw Danny up against the wall. You know what I'm saying? And, and like we turned the we turned the cafeteria out. Of course, we turned it out. You know what I'm saying? On some WWF shit, we turned it out. You know what I'm saying? And you know we went to we went to the principal's office, right? And the white principal, you know, white male. You know, I'm gonna tell you this is the craziest shit. He asked us. He didn't have the white kids in there. I think maybe he might have had them in there earlier, but he asked us why was we in there fighting with the kids. And we told him what happened, and we then told him that he called, they called us niggas, right? And you know what he said? He said, well, what's the problem with that? Or something. He said something along the lines of, isn't that what you are? Or what, the pro- what was the problem with that? Or isn't that what you are? I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. He said, isn't that what you are? And I told my mother and father, that was our last day there. That was our last day there. You see? So, back to the neighborhood, back to our school. I was so glad to get back around the neighborhood. We went to PS 298 from there. And we went with our friends there, and we went to we went to school. And, this up, you know, next is other project. We're still in Brownsville now. There's another project called Howard House. There's a bunch of Brownsville. By the way, keep in mind, Brownsville is the home of the public housing project. I mean, it, you got so many projects in Brownsville, Van Dyke, Howard Houses, uh, 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 Brownsville Houses, uh, uh, um, uh, what else? Uh, uh, Seth Lowe Houses, uh, um, Tilden Houses. I can go on and on. You see? All projects, which, you know, the so-called white man, when, when they, when, by the time they get all these niggas out of there, they're going to be on turning it into co-ops. You see, they'll turn it all into co-ops. You see? So, because, again, it's not the people. I mean, it's not the place. It's the people. It's not the place. It's the people. Let me take a call. That's it. 980. 980, you on there? 980. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. But, um... It's not about the place. It's the people. 
Because I always hear these niggas all the time talking about, yeah, the hood, this, yeah, the hood, this, and the hood don't got no love. And the hood, no, stop saying it's the hood. Stop saying it's the neighborhood. Say it's the niggas in the hood. Say it's the mentality of the hood. Because I guarantee you, if they turn Van Dyke houses into co-ops, and they did what they did with the Stuyvesant houses, and they moved white people in there, you would not see what you ended up seeing there. You see? Because the people have to see law. Our people have to see order. They have to see structure in order for their living experience to be at its most optimal point. You see? If that's not real with our people, then guess what? Guess what? We have nothing. You see, this is, you know, I'll just say it like this. Now that I look back at everything, because I'm going to go deeper into my experiences. You know, I'm going through my life growing up in the projects and the things I got into and how being in the projects shaped me and put me in the direction where I went. The projects, growing up in the projects, shaped me in the direction where I went. You see? More on that when we be, when we come back. <laughs> Thank you. 
I learned a lot as a child growing up in the projects, Van Dyke Houses, Brownsville, East New York. And Van Dyke Houses is where I first learned about what gay and lesbian was. That's the first time I encountered LGBT. Q X Y Z. First time I, there was a um, there was a girl. It was some girls, three girls that lived on the second floor in my building, three sixty two Sutter Avenue. That's where I lived at, three sixty two Sutter Avenue, apartment ten F. There was these girls that lived on the second floor in my building. Uh, Cheryl, Cheryl, and I forget what the other sister name is. Cheryl and Monique was it. Now, they were I, they were they were light skinned They looked like they was mixed with something, right? And they had the wavy, curly type head. And it wasn't until I say I've seen their mother now. I've seen their mother was a straight up Puerto Rican. Right? So I figured, oh, okay, so then their father must be black. Right? So I saw what I thought was their father. Get where I'm about to go here with this. I saw who or what I thought was their father when I saw a very dark skinned man named Doc. Right? This was a very dark skinned man named Doc, right? Rough-looking, dark-skinned man, right? He had an afro, and it was parted in the middle, and Doc always was wearing uh, shorts and khakis and whatnot and always had on these uh, shirts showing off his arms and shit, right? So I was like, um, so I was like, yeah, that's their father, right? And so one day, I'll never forget, I'm, um, I, I, I said to my father, we coming in the building, and we seen Doc, because we that's what we know Doc. That was their father's name, Doc. That's what we knew him as, right? And my father said, That ain't no fucking man. <laughs> my father said, That's a fucking bull dagger. <laughs> he said, That's a bull dagger. I said, What? He said, A bull dagger. He said, That's a fucking he said he seen say fucking, but he said that's a guy he said it's a knife. He said, that's a woman with her titties tied down. That's exactly how he said it. Now, you imagine, I'm seven years old, eight years old. He said, that's a six or seven. I'm just like, there's a woman with her titties tied down. My father ain't had no filter. He ain't had no goddamn filter whatsoever. He said, that's a, that's a dyke with her titties tied down. I was like, that ain't no, I said, that, get out. Ain't no, that ain't no woman. I said, that ain't no way. He said, yes, it is. And, I, and, and sure enough, you know, I'm 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 all seven, eight years old. I'm confused. I don't understand none of this stuff. I'm like, how they father? How is they father a woman? And he's like, that ain't they father. He's like explaining shit to me, and he's he like, that ain't they father. Whoever that nigga was, that bitch probably chased him away. <laughs> I was like, he, my father ain't had no filter. He said, that's they father now, or with that bitch trying to act like a father. That's a bull dagger. That's why I first learned the word bull dagger from. Bull dagger, dagger. They said bull dagger, right? And I'm like, I, I'm like, no way. Because if you seen this person, you is no way you would think this is a woman, right? But I, I, then I started looking close, and I started seeing like, I guess maybe she didn't tie the ace bandage tight one day, and I'm standing, and I do see the breast, like you know, I, I, she ain't must ain't put the ace bandage on tight enough that day, you know? And I'm like. I'm like, get out of here. And I'm like, so I'm like, um, I ain't even going to ask my father. I ain't even want to know how they have sex. <laughs> I'm like, I knew about what sex was. I'm like, how they have sex? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and I don't know if my father, he didn't explain this shit to me, but I was like, yeah, all right, man. And so I looked at them different after that. I'm like, so y'all got two moms. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm like, is that what this is? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, and then on the on the faggot side of the game, on the homosexual side of the game, there was Clay, there was a, a old dried up faggot named Clavon. That was this nigga's name, Clavon. No, Clavon or Clavon. It's old dried up faggot named Clavon, right? Clavon lived with Uncle Dan. Uncle Dan was this fat Alabama nigga, this fat old Alabama nigga. He's always obese, fat old Alabama nigga with gray with a gray afro. And he always stunk all the time. He always was funky all the time. And Clavon, or Clavon, Clavon, Clavon was a flaming faggot. He, I mean, this nigga looked like he had AIDS before there was AIDS. This nigga always looked like he had AIDS. Like, so when he died of AIDS, I'm like, this nigga must have been the early, like, the early, you know, specimen for AIDS. Because this nigga looked like he had AIDS in the 70s. And I'm like, that shit must have been out then. No, Clay, not, yeah, uh, uh, Clavon and Uncle Dan. Clavon and Uncle Dan. Yeah. Clavon and Uncle Dan. And, you know, I I guess that was his uncle for real because I don't think they was I, I don't think that was his dude or nothing like that, but Clavon was a stone faggot and I'm like, Okay, I'm getting a okay, I'm getting an LGBT education here. You know what I'm saying? You know. So yeah, Uncle Dan, no Uncle Dan. That probably was his boyfriend, Uncle Dan and Clavon. I remember them. So, like I said, when Clavon died of AIDS, and I think Uncle Dan, you know, he being an old swollen up nigga, he, you know, he's nine times out of ten, he had diabetes to the tenth power, and he died, and, you know, and Clavon, and, you know, whatever. You know. I also learned about child molestation. You know, having a older kid almost molest me in the damn stairway in the building. You know, I'm not going to go into no details about it. Didn't happen. Almost molested me. You see? And I noticed that it was a very heightened sexual uh, uh, atmosphere all in that area of Brownsville. And we dumb kids. We don't know what we're doing. People being dumb kids and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, but this kid was an older family friend. And he he tried to molest me. And I'll never forget that. And I was scared to death. He almost did it. And I I never forgot that. And I said, and for years, like, I had, you know, I had a trauma behind it because people tried to make it seem like it was something I should have did or I didn't, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I'm, I don't, I'm seven, eight years old. I don't know nothing about this shit. I'm just all over. I'm just like a kid. All right? And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to... You know, just even talking about it now, because I said, you know, you know, it was a highly charged sexual undertone in that area. I don't know if some some beast lived in some cave beast and with some sexual perversions going on. Because I told you, those sexually demonic spirits they hang around, man, and they jump on children, man. That's why you got to always watch your children, man. And I always said when I came of age, I said two things: I would never leave my children alone. I don't blame my mother or father for nothing. We out in the street playing; they didn't know stuff like that happens. We get exposed to things, and we do stupid things, and we take part in things, or things get done to us. We don't know no better. Everybody, all these kids is growing up in the hood. This is happening to them, man. You might not know your children might have been molested. They grew up in the hood. Hell, they get molested by their uncles, their grandparents, their brothers and sisters touching them and all this weird shit. So I always said to myself. I said, I didn't never want, because I, I, you know, we we went through shit. And I'm like, I'm never going to 
ever leave my children to go anywhere with anybody else. I'm going to always oversee them because I, and I, I said also, when I hit like 15, 16 years old, and I said, you know, one day I'm going to kill this person. I thought about that, killing this person, just, you know, even trying to do that. But then I just left my mind, man. You see? But it, I know it, it, I said it'll make me more protective of my children and would never bring no harm to my children or allow anybody around my children like that. You see, because they don't, never children should never have to see that or experience that or go through that or be put in those kind of positions because you can put people in position and people expecting you to be, you know, uh, sexually aware and sexually fast. You, no, how the hell are you going to be that seven, eight years old? Anything that you do or is done to you under 10 years old, you ain't responsible for. You just being a dumb kid, repeating whatever you did, you taking on whatever energy you saw, whatever somebody tried to do to you, you don't know nothing better than that. You see, you don't know nothing beyond that. You're just a dumb kid. You're just picking up whatever dumb kid's leading you to do or bringing you toward or trying to get you involved in. You don't know nothing. This motherfucker tried to take my innocence, man. I was innocent, man. You know, I did, you know, you're just picking up energy again. You got to watch your children, man. Because when they're innocent and they don't know nothing, they just can be made part of anything at any given second because children are trusting, man. I was a trusting child in a lot of ways. I was trusting. You see? And, I, and you know, like I said, my mind, it, it, it did a lot. It did a lot to, you know, where the stance I'm at today when it comes to homosexuality, when it comes to child molestation, when it comes to parents not watching the children, being protective over their children, making sure they're not being groomed in the wrong way sexually or being molested or being put in those kind of positions. I'm very hardcore on that, man. I don't play that at all, at all. You see, I never want to have my daughter experience that, none of my children. You see, ever being put in that position or having something, heaven forbid, happen to them when I could have prevented that by making sure they're not around people they shouldn't be around when they're around me all the time or I know exactly where either with their mother or they with me or they with both of us. We don't play that because a lot of children got the same story. A lot of the children got the same story and as lucky as me. A lot of children got the same story. You see, but see, when you're a child, you don't understand things. You see, when you're a child, you don't fully understand things. Like I said, this is where community comes in at. You see, because when I, like I said, I wanted to be a part of something. When I became 13, 14 years old, I wanted to be part of something. You know, so I start studying the lessons. I, You know, all this is in the projects. So this is why, you know, everybody started to study the 5% lesson, you know. Niggas start studying the 5% lessons. Well, you know the 5% nation come from Clarence 13X, who was under the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. He was at one point in time, you know, he, they, he started the 5% nation up in Harlem. And they basically took the teachings of the Nation of Islam and, 
you know, hijack the teachers of the nation and basically put their own little spin on it and they mean into it. But, you know, it's fascinating. Just like I was fascinated with the picture of Elijah Muhammad I saw, you know, because I was looking for anything that was better. I was looking for anything that was better to bring our people forward. I was looking for anything that was better. I wanted our people to come together because I didn't like what I was seeing. I didn't like what I was seeing growing up. I'm like, why are we living like this? You see, why are we living like this? And like I said, you know, I wanted something better. So, you know, I started studying the net, the starting to study the lessons and whatnot. I was going, I thought I was going, you know, they, this was in junior high school. You know, we had the ways blazing. That's when we started right about around junior high school, sixth grade, seventh grade, going to high, junior, junior high school. We had the ways. That's when everybody had the ways. You know, I had my ways laced. We had this do rags, do rags, and stocking caps on our head. Me and my brother, we had our ways and whatnot, getting our shape up. We had all the nice, cool clothes our parents bought us and things like that. And I'm starting to study the lessons. I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna get a cool ass name like Supreme or you know or or right. Uh, no, not right. I wanted to stick with an S because I my name originally started with an S. So I was gonna be Supreme or Sun or something like that or Supreme Sun or something like that. I was gonna get me a cool ass five percent of name and I was gonna build with the gods and whatnot and get me a couple of Earths. You know that's what they call the sisters. All that all that shit. I was all into that, all that shit. You know. I remember one time I brought home some of the lessons and whatnot. I never forget this dude named um who gave me some lessons. This dude named You Born or You God or one of You Born or something like that. He gave me some lessons and I was like studying it. And I, I was studying this shit and I'm studying the hell out of this. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna build a nation and all this because we we tired this project shit and all this. And I'm studying the lessons. I'm studying them. And I'm reading them. And I got down the alphabet and all of that stuff. I still remember some of the alphabet and some of the other stuff. And, um, you know, this old 5% name, Mr. Supreme, or I forget his name was Mr. Mr. Allah, Mr. Supreme, Allah, whatever. He gave me some lessons and whatnot, you know. And he smacked a ham and cheese sandwich out of my hand one time. <laughs> but he was so big and he was so ferocious, I wasn't even going to tell him, yo, nigga, what's up with that sandwich? That nigga smacked the ham. I ain't know if God didn't eat pork. You know what I'm saying? What you want? Could you at least give me some money for a turkey and cheese sandwich? Damn, God, nigga smacked the sandwich out of my hand. I was sad that day, too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, so that was the end of my pork day. My pork days, that was the end of that. You know, so I mean, like, I wasn't going to fight him for it. it was like, he st- and he stepped on the shit, too. <laughs> it was still in the foil. He knocked it out of my hand and stepped on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I was like, I ain't no more pork then. You know what I'm saying? Shit. I was like, you could at least let me take it back and get the turkey and cheese on so they made the wrong order. But anyway, and you know, and for a minute I thought it was a little camaraderie with them until in the projects, that project life, all that tribal shit come out. You know, niggas want to, if you ain't God body, you getting robbed. You know, oh, we still, is that what we doing? You know, we still in this tribal shit. We in the project. I'm like, oh, God bodies. If you ain't God, you can't recite the lesson. You're getting beat up. They started that way. And then my father one time, he seen me studying the lessons, right? And then I started trying to teach my little sister Nikki the lessons and whatnot. And I'm really getting into it because, you know, I was always into the black thing. So I'm, I'm really getting into it. I'm trying to study the lessons. And I start trying to teach my sister the supreme alphabet and all that. And my father was like, 
Don't bring bringing that jailhouse shit in here. That's my father once said. Don't bring that jailhouse shit in here. I said jailhouse. He's like, yeah, don't bring that jailhouse shit in here. And it's like, womp, womp, womp. That's how I was. He just like, crushed my whole world, man. I was like, the gods, what the god? He's like, them niggas ain't no gods. <laughs> said jailhouse shit. He said he was talking that shit when I was in jail. I was like, damn, dad. Gee, thanks. You know, gee, thanks, dad. He said, let me teach your sister that bullshit. He said, he said, he said, let me teach your sister that bullshit. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I still studied it behind his back, though. You know, I still studied it, you know, but he didn't even, like, really get on me hard about it. But he's just mad I was teaching my sister. I'm, like, about 12, 13 years old. And all of all of, all of the kids I grew up with, they all about becoming righteous. Now everybody 5%. So, you know, that was the thing to do. You know, I was trying to get my brother to study the lessons with me. We was going to both be, like, you know, he wasn't he with none of that. He just wanted to fight all the damn time. He, that's all he wanted to do was fight all the damn time. I was like, yo, but if we study these lessons, nigga, we ain't got to fight all the time. <laughs> that's the whole point of this. We got bodies. We ain't got we got clout now. We a community. He ain't want to hear that shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know? But see, one day it all came in handy. Because we got approached in bed style by some other niggas from the projects. We got approached by some other niggas in the projects. It all came in handy. I'll never forget this nigga named Powerful from the from the projects right here, not too far from where I said. This, these niggas was in the projects. And the cow, see, project niggas all the same. Project niggas are all the same for the most part. And we went to school with these project niggas in bed style. This is the Cow Avenue projects. This is um these projects not too far. But... This show you how gentrified this area done become. Here it is. I saw a white girl skating down the street. I'm coming. I'm driving home three in the morning. Something. I see a white girl skating down the street, listening to some Britney Spears right by the projects. Just roller skates. No, she's on the skateboard. I'm like, do you know where you skating by? <laughs> do you know what the hell this is? Well, I guess she didn't care. You know, these niggas. Like I said, not many people that are shot, killed, and robbed on these blocks. Right by the projects where she. But so anyway, you know, I said some, you know, some five percenters approached us, was about to rob us for our coats. We had some nice sheepskin coats. It's, no, we had the leather bomber. We had the leather bombers at that time. The leather bomber coats, expensive leather coats. And niggas was like in a nigger frenzy. If you could have one of them coats and not get robbed for your coat, you was something. I'll never forget, we got approached for our leather bombers, and they was expecting us to give them up. And it was a lot of the, a lot of these niggas. Was the, they was the gods. All these niggas was the god body. It was what they took up to rob, and they figured if you wasn't a god body, you was getting robbed. So they asked me what today's mathematics was. You know, I wasn't no eight ball coats. No, I wasn't none of that. It was leather bombers. It was the uh, uh, Cooper leather bombers. We had, I had a black one. My brother had a brown one, right? So I said, now here they was gonna rob us. They they was gonna rob us. They was gonna take our coats. We had kangos, we had the fur kangos, we had the wallabies on, all that shit. You know, had our ways, they they were going to rob us. So, you know, I knew this kid, Powerful, who was, like, with them. He was leading the mob because they had their sheepskins on. I'm like, you niggas got coats, and you gonna, y'all got better coats than us, and you going to still take our coats? I'm like, wow, you niggas are really so. I was like, y'all, y'all got better coats. You niggas got sheep. We ain't got sheepskins yet. Y'all got better coats than us. Y'all going to still rob us? 
So then not so then I hit them with the some with the days mathematics and niggas blessed. They like, all right, leave them alone, guys. I said, see, I told my brothers, ah, uh-uh. I did like the Jew and uh, coming to America, Eddie Murray. I have, you see, you see what the lessons did. We ain't had to fight, see, you see. Aha, uh-huh. he's a powerful lad. Now nah, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Uh, and he walked away. You see? Aha, uh-huh. that was our nigga pass. So I said, yeah, the lessons did come in handy for something. Because they were sure was going to take our coat. And we would just had to be fighting out there, but we weren't going to win. It was too many of them. You know what I'm saying? We would have got old. We would have been, my brother, he was fighting there. He was ready to start fighting with them. But it was about 20 of these niggas. So uh, I don't know how much fighting we was going to do, how successful we was going to be. So, you know, but what that says is these people are all, like I said, the same everywhere, man, and the projects everywhere. You see? It's a mentality that's bred there by people who come there with no identity of who they really are. I'm not making no excuses. I'm just giving reality on what I learned in the projects. We'll be right back.
You know, I um, my first girlfriend. Can anybody hear me? Can anybody hear me good? Am I coming in clear? Can everybody hear me good? Okay. My first girlfriend. I got my first girlfriend, or who I thought was my girlfriend, in the projects. I was um, 11 years old. My first girlfriend in the projects. When I, you know, she lived in one building. I thought it was some old, you know, Romeo and Juliet type of thing. My first girlfriend, Trina Stroman. I still remember her name, Trina Stroman. She lived on the 10th floor in the projects next to where I lived on the 10th floor. I lived in 362. She lived in 375. Trina Stroman. You know, me and Trina, we used to go up or our, our spot. We used to go up in her building. You know, we did all kind of little fresh stuff, kissing on each other, grinding on each other, you know, feeling up on her and stuff like that. We all are 11, 12 years old, about 11, about 10, 11 years old. I, I want to say around that, grinding up on each other, you know. And, you know, it was cool, you know, because she was going, you know, because I came to school. We went to the same um, junior, um, junior not, not public school. We went to the same public school together. 298, and, you know, I, I had the fresh waves and suede pumas, and, you know, I was the man, you know, had my waves all laced up and everything, and she used to go with Bummy Dirty Melvin from the other projects, um, Langston Hughes project. She went with Dirty Melvin. So Dirty Melvin didn't have no fresh suede pumas on, thanks to my mother. She made sure me and my brother had the nice things. My father damn sure wasn't going to do it. So she made sure she put out some money aside. So anyway, you know, we got the fresh gear and everything, so you know, Trina, my little girlfriend, you know, not knowing that she'd been other dudes' little girlfriends, too. But so whatever, 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 it was my turn. So, um, you know, we doing our thing and whatnot. She got away from bummy little Melvin from the other projects. And, uh, you know, one day we go up on the roof and we going to go and resume our little, you know, my little tete-tete, our little, little thing, you know, little prepubescent little sexual thing, whatever we doing. We, we messing around just kissing and just harmless stuff. And she brings her friend with her. Now, this is a girl named Quita. Again, this is where I learned about LGBT. Quita comes with us up there. I'm like, why is Quita coming up here with us? I'm like, okay. So I kiss Trina, and I kiss Quita. And then they kiss each other. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm 11 years old. I still don't understand this gay and lesbian shit at this time. Yeah, Quita. I kid you not. They kissed each other, and I'm like, what is this? I'm like, what's about to go on here? And I'm all of 11 years. I don't know none of this shit. I'm all of 11. And I'm like, okay. And um, I'm like, y'all, I, I'm like, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm stuck here. I'm going to stuck. You know what I'm saying? And. You know, that's the beginning of my, you know, again, watch your children. It's very important to watch your children. You know, and they just, then the next thing you know, it, like years passed, and I seen them, this was 84, this was around 84, and they both had lesbian haircuts, and they just both came out, and I guess they was with each other until Quita got stabbed to death in the projects. Because Quita was a real butch, she was a real bulldagger, like my father said about Doc. Quita was a real dyke, she turned real dykey. I, Trina, I guess they were was wearing them shag hair because with the um, slick hair on the side, and so um, Quita was wild. She would fight a man. She would fight anybody. Quita was real wild. You know, again, not being raised by her mother in the project, she was raised by her father. And I heard her brother was molesting and all this other stuff. So 
Queda was out here fighting one time, and like literally, the girl ripped Queda's shirt off. Why Queda to pull her bra off and thought it was a good idea to start fighting with her big old titties flapping around? So we all standing out there, she fighting with no shirt on, and I'm like sitting with my mouth open. We about like sixteen, seventeen at the time. You see, we about sixteen. She thought it was a good idea to abandon her bra. And she fighting in this damn street, and she like she was nice, you know. We, we like, oh yo, damn, Queda. We was looking at her like, damn, all right, you know what I'm saying? And she fighting with no shirt on. And then you know, I wasn't surprised to find out what her end that she met her end when uh, she she called herself trying to fight and, and bully on the wrong girl. A girl stabbed her to death, put a twelve inch knife in her goddamn chest and killed her on the spot. This was like, I remember that they killed when that girl killed Queda. You know. Quita, Quita used to play basketball with us and everything. You know, they had a memorial for her and everything. And I'm just like, and they had a goddamn rain. I still remember a rainbow. Like, they had a rainbow flag, a little something out there for her. I'm like, what the fuck is this? What they, I ain't know what the rainbow was. You see? So, you know, I, I, I learned these things, you know, and I think that it brought me in alignment to you know, when I went to Dr. York and, you know, and he was community and everything, I was always, I wanted to embrace community. So back, cause I didn't grow up in a real community. I grew up in a toilet. I grew up in a toilet with people with toilet mindset, toilet mentalities. You know, so then when my mother and father, they started doing pretty good. You know, my father was working for transit by this time of year, and my mother was a registered nurse. I'm thinking, damn, we about to get a house. Damn, we about to get a house. We about to get out. It was like the Good Times episode when, when Florida and James was about to get that house. You thought they was about to get that house, get the fuck up out the project. And I was like, damn, mom and daddy, they, they doing big things. They get my nurse, daddy. And, and my mother bought a Volvo car, brand new car, Volvo. My father had a 98. They had very nice cars in the projects in the parking lot. No house. I'm not mad. But I, I, I thought it was going to be more. It was just like one of them. Oh. I'm like, I, we about to get one of them Nehemiah houses, right? Right, Ma? You, you, you ain't surely you're not paying car notes for a 19 for a brand new car. We got not. It's not going to stay here in this parking lot, right? In the projects, right? And then I realized what a project mindset will do because they felt that you know they wanted to get a house, but they said it was the credit and all this other stuff. When you, I was really disappointed. I was, I, I really, you know, we drove around in the goddamn thing, but we were still in the projects. We didn't escape till like about 1991. The family was breaking up and all this other stuff. And then, like, oh, it is what it is. I don't blame my mother for it. My mother probably going to be, you know. And, you know, and, and then they seen new cars, the projects. So they already suspected we were selling drugs any damn way. They probably, that's why they was thinking our family was so quiet. They thought we had something to do with dealing drugs when my mother and father come in with new cars. But they were working people. But all that to be said, I learned a lot, and I could not have been doing what I'm doing right now if I didn't have that project experience. Because everything I want to do in my life is totally anti that. So I had to see that. I had to experience that in order to know that's not what I wanted, even though, you know, I drifted into that, you know, a little bit as far as, Dealing with drugs, help selling drugs and whatnot when I went to live around my grandmother. But you know, I um, you know, it's what I was raised not trying to be a part of, and what I wanted to aspire to be higher. 
I had to grow up in filth. It's like the same analogy as planting a, you know, rose or something in a junkyard. I ain't referring to myself as a rose, but you know, but you know what I mean. You know, sometimes beautiful things can grow out of things that you see. Like I've seen it tear down a lot of people, but I couldn't be what I'm, what I'm doing right now because I did not want to see that. I did not want that to be the life of my people. Same way the messenger said he had he had to you know what inspired him to you know come to the position he was in and take that because he saw a man hanging from a tree, so-called black man hanging from a tree, and that's he was a little boy, and that's the most traumatic thing to see when you were a child to see somebody hanging out of a tree, and it changed his life forever. Like when I seen my friend Stan getting beat with a belt, my friend Stan who lived on the ninth floor, this nigga named Glenn came home from jail. You know, this is when the crack era was in. Stan was selling crack. He got involved in that, and Stan got hooked up on crack. Next thing you know, he started smoking crack. Next thing, he was making money. You know, he showed us all this money he was making. The next thing you know, he started smoking crack. Next thing you know, Glenn come home from jail. He beating Stan in the damn courtyard with a belt, butt-ass naked. He beating him with a belt like a child because he Stan started selling crack for him. He smoked the crack, and Glenn beat him with a belt in the damn thing. He was sick, but that's it. Let me go ahead and read these questions. What did I learn growing up in the projects that I don't have the mentality of those, but what it did unleash in me is a projection. It opened me up for projection. You see, sometimes living in bad places opens you up for projection. So my projection point was the projects because I saw something greater beyond where I was. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I saw myself doing something greater or being responsible for something much greater than what I came from. Was it important to have become what I've become today? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, that was my experience. I had to go through that. Could, um, I've, gave, could I've learned this any other place? No, absolutely not. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, much as what I went through, you know, but, you know, I needed it. When did I first start to learn? But men I got there. Men I looked at everything. Same way my daughter today scans everything and is trying to learn. She she get it from me. We cannot see what we saw. What is all this design? What was this? Why was this all by design? Yes, it was. I'm definitely convinced of that. Because I could have grew up any place else in any other city, someplace else. But I grew up in Belly of the Beast, Brooklyn, New York, Brownsville Projects. I mean, excuse me, Van Dyke Projects, Brownsville, East New York. That's it. I'm going to close out in the name of Amen by the power of Amen. And Amen we trust and Amen we think and Amen we continue forward forever. I am the intellectual leader in Mankare's. That's my time. See you guys back here tomorrow night at 10. Good night.
我就来。